I want to uh, preach to you just a little bit this morning on this topic, everybody say, the other side of the door. You know, doors are unique, aren't they? If you ever uh, get an opportunity to do a study of doors in Scripture, it's really a unique study. I'm only going to focus on one part of it today. But doors represent entryways. We talk about the door to our hearts. We talk about the door of opportunity. And we talk about a, uh, you know, the, uh, that door led me to a bad place. And so doors represent things. And we have to get a grasp of what doors represent and how they work in our lives and, and how you approach a door. You know, when you, when you end up coming to a door and it's locked, there, there may be a reason that it's locked. And if you come up to a door and you find out that that door is unlocked, and I want you to get this, just, just because a door's unlocked doesn't mean that you're supposed to open it. It doesn't, doesn't mean. Anybody got a rock? No. Just because a door is unlocked, I want you to get this. Just because a door is unlocked, did that scare anybody? Just, just because a door is unlocked doesn't mean you're supposed to go through it. I want you to hear that. Just because a door is unlocked, and I didn't say open. I said just because a door is unlocked doesn't mean you're supposed to go through it. Years ago, I found myself at a wildlife I don't know if you want to call it a refuge or whatever it was, but we were driving around through it and they had all these, they, they had monkeys there, they had cats, there were lions there and we were going through and, you know, we were able to pet some of them and I came and it was just, man, you drove through. So it was, it, well, I take that back. You didn't drive through, we were walking through it. And, and I came up on a cage of a jaguar. It was either jaguar or cheetah. I can't remember now what it was. All I know, it was a cat about this big. Everybody go about that big. This is no fish story, okay? So the cat is like this big, and it didn't dawn on me until after the fact that jaguars and cheetahs don't get much bigger than that when they're full grown. But this, this thing was a juvenile, and I came up on it, and it was inside a cage, but the gate or the door, if you will, was unlocked. There was no, the, the lock, the padlock was off of it. The, the door was unlocked. My son was with me. He was probably six or seven at the time. He may have, I don't know how old he was. He was young. <clears throat> and in my thinking, I thought, oh, there's no lock on this, the, the, the padlock on this door is not locked. So that must mean it's all right for me to go in. God is my witness. I, I told my son, I said, now you stay here. And I opened the door. Everybody say open the door. And if somebody jumps out this time. <laughs> so 
I opened the door, and when I opened the door, I turned my back to the cat to go in. And when I went in and I closed the door and I latched it, there was a dog house, I guess you'd call it a cat house, but I didn't want to use that terminology. But there, there, was, a, there was a dog house inside that cage and that cat had gotten up on top of that house. And when I turned around, he leaped at me, caught me right here and put his claws in and went down the side of my body and thank God he was playing but he played really rough. And all of a sudden I find myself with this cat and he's wanting to play, man. And I'm thinking, I messed up here. And I'm, I'm trying to, and, I, and if I turn my back to him, I'm in trouble. He got a hold, I, I was trying to push him kind of back. He got my thumb in his mouth. He had, honest to goodness, he started, I thought he was gonna bite through my thumb. If he'd wanted to, he could have easily. He clamped down on my thumb and man, the pressure I felt and I thought if I don't get my thumb out of this thing's mouth, he's gonna bite right through it. And so I stick my other hand in his mouth and I'm, <laughs> and I'm pushing down on its tongue and he, and he lets go and, and I, I get that hand out and I, I managed to get the other hand out and I thought, man, I gotta get out of here. And I, 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 I turn my back and I open it up and I get out and my son's eyes are about this big. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you, boy. <laughs> Just because a door is unlocked doesn't mean you're supposed to go through it. What's on the other side of the door let me read a scripture to you, Genesis 4, 6 to 7. God is speaking to Cain about his brother Abel and the offerings that they had given. And God said, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. If you don't master sin, sin will master you. Sin is crouching at the door. Come here a minute, sin. I mean, James. I had no clue well, I did actually, but you had no clue that when you opened up that door, someone was going to leap out at you. Do you understand that the devil came for three things, to steal, kill, and destroy? So you got to be careful when you're messing around a door that you don't belong at, where you ought not be. You know better. James knows that I'm, I'm a jumpy guy if you jump out at me behind a door. Don't do that. We were here alone. I didn't know he was here. We're here. You remember this? We're here alone. I'm coming out of the green room. He's waiting for me. When... 
I opened that door, he jumped at me, and before I realized it, I went like this, and he goes, ho, ho, ho! I'm telling you that when you get surprised, here's what you got to understand is he got surprised too, but you need to, you need to hear what I'm going to say. When the devil's on the other side of the door, he's already got your number. He knows what your response is going to be. And you cannot fight him off alone. But if Jesus is for me, who my friend can be against me? Thank you. Give him a hand, would you? I, I thought about that crouching at a door. How many of you have ever been frightened before? I was going to lock a door of a church it was built in 1929. It had 18 and a half foot ceilings in it. They used a padlock on the front door. And when I went to lock it, the lock was on the piano that was all the way in the front of the church. And so I walked through the church without turning any lights on. Walked all the way up through that spooky building. I mean, that church house. <laughs> Grabbed that padlock. Now, Debbie was outside waiting for me in the Jeep, is what she said. But in actuality, she was waiting for me behind the door. And when I stepped out, she jumped out from behind that door and I had that padlock in my hand. And I came about this close from taking, hitting her in the face with that padlock. Not because I didn't like her, but because she took me unaware. The Bible said that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. You understand, my, my, my response to people, I say people, when, when people jump out at me, isn't going to help me when the devil's laying wait. It's not about my knee-jerk reaction. It's about my relationship with God. And that relationship is going to make all the difference. Everybody say the other side of the door. Noah was instructed by God to build an ark. He even told him to put a door in the ark. Now listen to what he says to him. This is in Genesis 6, 14 to 16. He says, build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet in length. Now, if you're figuring a 21-inch cubic instead of a 15-inch cubic, that's 525 feet. But most scholars believe it was 400, it was 18 inch cubic. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. As big as this ark is, it's, it's bigger than a football field. As big as this ark is, God instructs him to put only one door. Everybody say one door. 
he labored. Now, I want you to get this, and I want you to stay with me because all this points to something. One door. He labored for over 100 years to build an ark just like God had instructed him to build it. And then God spoke to Noah to get on the ark. He said, because in seven days he's going to bring a flood that will destroy the earth. Then in Genesis 7, 13 to 16, it says that very day, Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, and their wives, a male and female of each kind entered just as God commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. Everybody say, God shut it. I want you to understand that God wants us to be saved. But if we're going to get saved, we've got to respond to him. Can you imagine the people that were screaming and pounding on that door? When all of a sudden the Bible said that the springs of the earth, they burst forth it like, like raging rivers shooting up out of the earth, water came. People were being carried away in torrents of floods and, 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 and I, I, in my mind's eye, I can see them running to that ark, beating on it and, and yelling at Noah. But Noah could not open that door because God had shut it. Now, before you start questioning the mercy of God, understand this, that that door had been open since the beginning of creation. That door had been open for Adam and Eve. It had remained open all that time. It was open for the hundred years that Noah is building that ark, but people would not go in. They refused to go in. And so then God shut the door. Now in the book of Revelations, it says, God speaks and he says, behold, I set before you an open door and no man can shut it. But let me tell you this, once God shuts the door, no man can open it. And so there is one door, everybody say one door. There was one door to get into that ark. One way to get into a place of safety. One entry place to be saved, and they refused it. They turned it away. God wants us to be saved, but in order for him to do it, we've got to respond to him. You remember Moses in Egypt? And what did he do? He said, look, he said, I, I want everybody. I, he said, I'm going to pass through Egypt. Destruction's going to come. Everybody say destruction's going to come. I know we never talk about this, but if, if you're going to stay true to the Bible, you've got to understand that he's going to purge this earth with fire. That's his word to us. And what, 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 what are we going to do? Go in the door. You don't have to be afraid. Do you understand that when you choose to walk through the door, you're safe there. He told Moses, he said, you go tell, instruct the children of Israel that I am going to come through the land of Egypt. And when I come through, I'm taking the firstborn of every living creature, man, beast, cattle, doesn't matter. The firstborn I'm taking. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sacrifice a lamb, take the blood from that lamb and put it where? Put it over the entryway to your home. 
you'll let me say it this way, it was all pointing to something. It was pointing to the entryway to your heart. And he said, if I see the blood over that entryway, I'm going to bypass you and you're going to be saved. But if I don't see the blood, everybody say, there's power. Oh, man, you're lucky I can't sing. If I could sing, I'd be, there's power, power, wonder-working power in of the land. There is power in the precious blood. I always wanted to do that. I always wanted to. There's power. There's power in the blood. See, we don't talk about the blood much anymore. We don't, and you understand the blood's the only thing that's going to save you. The only thing, the blood has what? It's got life in it. When Washington was sick with fever, I don't know if you understand this, but there was a practice called the letting of blood. And what they believed is that if they drained blood out of you, it would drain the sickness out of you. All they had to do was read what the word said. The word said, life is in the blood. They killed him that way. He was already in a weakened condition. They let blood out of him and he died. I'm telling you, there's only one individual in all of history that ever let blood that caused life. (laughs) On the other side of the door, here's something unique, and I don't know if, if, if you're aware of this, but there was a law concerning sacrifices in the Old Testament. You can find this in the 17th chapter of Leviticus. Everybody that made a sacrifice or an offering, they were required to bring that offering to the door. Everybody say the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They had to bring it to the entryway of that holy place. They had to bring it to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. The scripture said that if they offer a sacrifice in a field and they don't bring it to that door, it doesn't matter who the Israelite is, they will be cut off forever. Why? Because of what it represented. In other words, the sacri- what, what does Paul say in Romans 12 and 1? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, By the mercies of God that you do what? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Where's that presentation supposed to happen? At the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. It is what represented the presence of God, the living place of God. You don't give yourself to another. He's a jealous God. I'm telling you right now, if I saw Debbie kissing somebody else, two people are in trouble, and one of them ain't me. What are you talking about? Because I don't share, but I was taught to share. You were taught wrong. There are some things in life you don't share. Now, check this out. If you think I've got problems with sharing, I got it from God. He said, 
There is no other God before me. What was he saying? I'm not sharing you. You know what that ought to do? That ought to make you feel secure in his love. It ought to make you, it makes Debbie feel secure. Every once in a while, you know, if some guy, you know, some, some guy will, you know, walk up to her in town and go, hey, you know, how are you? I said, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> we were out, this has been a few years ago, some guy comes swimming up and Debbie was up there and he hollered up at her and said, hey, hey, how'd you like to come down here and get on my back? Yeah, I hollered back. I may take you up on that offer. <laughs> he swam away. What are you saying? I'm telling you that it does something to the heart of a woman when she knows her man is going to protect her and that he gets, he's, he, he's protective of her. You know, if, if you'll let me use jealousy in the context that God used it. When he said, I am a jealous God. Do you understand that God's saying, I don't share with anyone else. You belong to me. Amen. You belong to me. I never have understood, you know, they've, they've got all these places, you know, that get liberated and all this. And I, I've heard about swapping wives. And I thought, man, if you're swapping wives, you should have picked the right one in the first place. You know, doing, doing stuff that just, that, that, that is built on destroying and the destruction of a family and a home. God loves you so much that he'd rather die for you than live without you. And so he came. Everybody say he came. So you're not allowed to, as a matter of fact, this is what the law said. The law said that if you offer a sacrifice any place except the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He said, you're the same as a murderer. Think about it. Why? Because he wanted you to understand how dear you are to him. Amen. There's only one true door. In John 10, 7 to 10, it, Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you that I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they can have it more abundantly. The door. He makes this statement to us in Revelations 3 and 20. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Everybody say, he's knocking. Have you ever heard him knock on your heart's door? Oh, you know, it's when all of a sudden you begin to feel that conviction, or not condemnation, God doesn't condemn, he convicts. He doesn't, he, he doesn't come in to destroy you. He comes in to change you. And so there's that knocking on that door. My brother was in a service on a Sunday morning, big old tears streaming down his face. He kept looking at me saying, it's hot in here. I wouldn't say a word to him. 
because I knew somebody was knocking. He kept trying to engage me in conversation. I just turned my face the other way, wouldn't even look at him because someone was knocking. But here's the deal. You have to open the door. He said, I stand at the door and knock. Do you know that in the painting that portrays that there is no doorknob on his side of the door? That painting where you see Jesus standing at the door knocking, if you look at the door, there's no doorknob there. Why? Because he said, you've got to open it up. And if you open it up, I'm going to open up some stuff to you. <laughs> Think about it. In, in the book of the Song of Solomon, the fifth chapter, I want you to stay with me here close for a second. I'm not going to keep you much longer, but stay here with me close because to me, this is one of the most beautiful passages, and I think we miss it sometimes. Now, I understand about, how many of you understand that the Scripture often has double meaning? You know what I'm talking about? There's, there's the context of, of the text, which is between a man and a woman, but then there's that shadow that it's pointing to. So I want you to listen to this passage as I try and unfold the shadow for you. I sleep. This, okay, let me, let me give you the picture of what's going on. There's, there's an individual, there's a woman in her room, and her fiancé, her, her beloved, comes trying to get her up, and she won't get up to answer. I want you to listen to the words of it. This is the woman speaking. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. Here's the implication. Is that we're asleep in our sin and Christ speaks and it wakes up our heart. He said, it's the voice of my beloved. Now watch what it says. He knocks saying, open for me my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. This is God's view of you. God doesn't see you as in, in the mess you're in at that moment. He sees you as he created you to be. And so he speaks that to you because he knows you better than you know yourself. Amen. And he begins to speak this out to the individual my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. My head is covered with dew. My locks with the drops of the night. What's he saying? I've been thinking about you all night long. The Bible says that he sings over us with joy. Do you understand that thoughts of us fill his mind? that we are ever before him, that he doesn't treat us like second-class citizens or, or, or like we're not a part of the family, but he, he envelops us. He, if, if, if God's got a wallet, our pictures are in it. He's got our artwork on his refrigerator. Everything about us he loves and he longs for. My, my head is filled with, with, with thoughts of you like dew drops in the night. He said, now she responds, I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How, how can I defile them? Why is it that we always come up with an excuse why we can't answer the door? Why is it every time God knocks that we find a reason that we can't open? 
He's trying to get our attention. He's calling you his love, his perfect one. He's telling you he's been thinking about you. That thoughts of you has filled his heart. But she says, it's too inconvenient. Agrippa said it like this. He said, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. Felix looked at him and said, you know, come to me at a more convenient season. What are you saying? I'm saying that God wants a response now. He doesn't want us putting him off. He doesn't want us pushing him back. He wants us to respond now listen to what she said my beloved so she tells him uh, it's, it's inconvenient right now watch what he says my beloved put his hand by the latch of the door and my heart yearned for him have you ever been to that place where all of a sudden God touches you and inside your heart you begin to ache for God You begin to think about how good he is and how much you love him. You begin to remember how it used to be. Are you with me? You remember those days where nothing else had your attention, where you were totally focused and totally committed to him. And he reaches and touches your heart like nobody else can. And when he touches you, it causes something inside of you to begin to yearn and say, oh God, I want you. I'm, I'm hungry for you. That's why David's willing to give back the kingdom. Just don't take your spirit from me. Just restore to me the joy of my salvation. It doesn't matter what I've been through. I I love the one that helps me get through. I've got to have him. I've got to have him. He he touched the latch of my door. The door to my heart. And my heart yearned for him. I got up from the bed. (laughs) I rose to open for my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. What's What's she saying? When I get into a place where he's been, the residue of his presence lingers on me. When you walk into that place where the presence of God is and it's thick there, I've come out of meetings before and it be just resonating on me, just heavy on me like an oil. And and it was like I couldn't talk to anybody. I I went through, I remember in the year 2000, I went through this, I I can't explain to you what it was, but I walked through this door and I'd never been through a door like that before. And and his his spirit came over me so strong. And and when I I, I walked into that place, it was like there was a lingering effect that went on for 10 months of my life. I was preaching revival, but I couldn't get up and preach. I'd get up and all I could do was stand there and I'd start to weep. And I saw people start running from the pews to run to 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 the altar to give their heart to God. It was nothing about me. It was all about him. We cannot exist outside of his presence. We've got to get back to the place where that oil lingers, where that perfume dwells, where we feel the tangible presence of God. But nobody can get you there but you. You have to hunger for it. You have to long for it. She said it was, it was all over me handles of the lock where he'd been it was dripping from me I opened for my beloved but my beloved had turned away and was gone 
My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. God isn't going to wait for you forever. When a woman feels like she's no longer loved, or if a man feels like he's no longer loved, he'll leave the relationship. Why? Because when you love, but there's no love coming back, it makes you feel unwelcome and unwanted. When you give of yourself, but no one gives back in return. I was sharing with the youth on Wednesday night the story of a man that conducted a drawbridge for a train to pass by. He had brought his child to work with him one day, and while his child was there, he let him slip off and didn't realize where he was, and all of a sudden he heard a train whistle, and the train was running early. And he looked up and he, he started trying to find his boy because he had to let that drawbridge down. And he looked over at the drawbridge and his boy was down there climbing on the gears of the bridge. When he saw that, he started screaming at the top of his lungs for his son, and, but his son couldn't hear him over the train. Time was passing and he had to make a choice. Either he tripped the switch and allowed the bridge to go down and it would most assuredly take his son's life or he left the bridge up and the people on the train all plunged to their death. And so with tears in his eyes, screaming at the top of his lungs, trying to get his son's attention, he hit the switch and he heard the cries of his boy when the bridge came down and started grinding his body. And then when he watched the train go over, he saw men inside the train drinking and laughing and smoking big cigars and carrying on and women hollering and laughing. And, and, and all of a sudden he ran to the edge of where the train was and started yelling, doesn't anybody care? Doesn't anybody understand that I just gave my son so you can live? I'm telling you that God in heaven, he said, be not deceived. I'm not mocked for whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. There is something on the other the side of that door and if you'll open it up while he's knocking you're going to find joy that's unspeakable and full of glory you're going to find what you've been longing for you're going to find the desires of your heart if you open the door but if you walk away you're going to live to regret and remember how his presence used to be after let me let me just stop here for a second let me ask you a question because you don't accidentally get to heaven you get to heaven because you made a choice to go you get to heaven because you chose to walk through the door everybody say one door you can't get there. Some guy said, well, I look at heaven like going to Philadelphia. Some people take a train, some take a plane, some go by car. Well, here's the problem, brother. We ain't got talking about going to Philadelphia. <laughs> We're talking, you can go any way you want to to Philadelphia, but if you're going to go to heaven, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man comes to the Father but by me. 
What's he saying? He's saying there has been such a... The entire Old Testament points toward one life that would be lived, one door that would be opened. And it encourages us to walk through that door. But we're the ones that have to make the choice to go through. He's not going to push you through. He's not going to force you through. But if you open it up and say, here I am, God. So here's my question for you today. Have you gone through that door? If you haven't, I want you, if you would, just to stand with me real quick. If you have not gone through the door. Say, Pastor, you're making this difficult because if I stand up, everybody's eyes are going to be on me. Folks, we're not talking about going to Philadelphia. We're talking about where you're going to spend eternity. If you haven't made clear, if you haven't sincerely opened that door, you may have heard it knocking, but you haven't opened it yet. Today's the day to walk in. Today's the day to go through. I'll tell you what, I'll make it easier for you. Everybody stand up. Now, if you haven't said yes, you haven't accepted Christ, I want you to walk up here right now, just real quick, real quick. Raise your hand or yell at the top of your voice and say, remember me. You know what, I, I think about, we get to this juncture in service and, and I, I, I've done, for years when I traveled, it was always that, you know, do I go, do I not go? You know what I think about? I think about the cartoon, The Flintstones. When all of a sudden Fred finds himself locked out and he cannot get in and he's beating on that door, hollering, for his wife to let him in. Wife can't let you in this door. Chainsaw said, I've, I've answered the door. I've, I've gone through the door. He said, but I wanted to come up because maybe somebody else will. You're not alone. Here's one man that stepped out and said, I'll stand with you. I got a feeling there are several in here that would stand with you if you say yes. Several that would say, you're not alone. They'll stand with you. They'll stand with you. You're not alone. <laughs> Can I tell you this, that there was someone that stood for you. Someone that stood in your place, that stood in the gap and made up the hedge. When sin demanded death, he said, I'll give my life. <laughs> and when sin clamped its jaws around him and death laid hold of him, the Bible said he didn't sin. The Bible said he was made sin that knew no sin. And when it grabbed him and it took him out, it could not hold him down. But that same resurrection power that broke out of that grave, he wants to put into your heart and soul. Listen to what he's willing to do for you. After you've opened the door for him, 
he'll open the door for you. He says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. When God opens a door, he said, I've set before you an open door and what? No man can shut it. But there's something you need to understand about open doors. Open doors always come with opposition. In the book of 1 Corinthians 16, but I will, this is Paul speaking, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective service is open to me. In Ephesus, a very promising opportunity and there are many adversaries. Say it with me, there are many adversaries. But if God be for us, I said, if God be for us, who my friend can be against us? Are you ready to go through that door? Some of you have already gone through a door to accept him as the Lord of your life. And now you're saying, God, I want you to open that door of service for me. I, I want to go in that one. But you can't go in one until you've gone through the other. So if you would stretch your hands to heaven with me, we're going to pray this prayer together. Those that are listening on radio, by the internet, if you would pray this prayer with us, no matter where you're at and what you're facing, you're not alone. He loves you. He cares for you. He paid a price for you. And if you'll pray this simple prayer, it can change your life forever. Would you pray with me now? Father, I ask you into my heart. I repent of my sin. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. I believe that his death made atonement for me. So right now, I say, here I am. I choose you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Come on now, give my hand clap of praise in this house. If you prayed that prayer, then it's time for you to step forward and let God open the door of opportunity for you. Some of you have the ability to touch people that I'll never see, that would never hear my voice, that would not listen to me because you have something with them that I don't, relationship. Sometimes you've got to earn the right to be heard. Relationship. It's what God always wanted with us. And that's why Jesus said, you ask and it'll be given. You seek and you'll find. You knock and I'll open the door. Remember this. Every unlocked door is not a door doesn't mean you ought to go through it. But when Jesus opens the door. When I go to visit people, I knock on their door. I don't knock on their door and then just step in. Hey! I wait for them to open the door for me. Because I know an unlocked door doesn't always mean 
I ought to be going through it. An unlocked door may be a trap, but an open door that God has opened is an opportunity. Amen. Amen. Are you ready for it? I want prayer partners, if you would, to come in behind folks here. This is what I want you to get, and I, I want you to hear my heart. We've got to move ministry from just behind this pulpit into the street. How's that happen? Everybody say, go take a look in the mirror. You, you make it happen. Everywhere you go is an opportunity. Every individual you see is a soul. It's a heart that needs to be touched, that needs to know that he loves them. What's on the other side of the door for that individual? Is it joy unspeakable or is it eternal separation? And if it's eternal separation, you ought to do everything you can to keep them from walking through that door and bring them that door whose name is Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. I want you, if you would, just to stretch your hands to heaven with me right now. I want to pray that God use you. A missionary friend of mine years ago said, there's only one thing better than going to heaven, and that's taking somebody with you. I want to take somebody with me, don't you? Father, I just thank you, God, what you're doing in her heart right now. Lord, the way that you rescued her.
what the devil's afraid of? He's afraid that a fire is going to start in your heart. That all of a sudden you're going to get excited and tell somebody. When I got saved, people thought I lost my mind. I didn't get a little bit saved. I got a whole lot saved. People thought I was crazy. There were people who thought I was crazy before I got saved. <laughs> Don't let it push you back. Don't let it hold you. You've got to be willing to just jump in. I got so excited. I'm, I'm getting ready to wrap up, I promise you, but I want you to get this. I got so excited in the church service one night. I don't know what happened to me. Debbie didn't know what happened to me. She was just praying that God had helped me. <laughs> I jumped over into a baptistry while they were baptizing. I was, I was overwhelmed with what God had done. Now listen to me a second. What he's done for you may not mean that much to you. Maybe you don't get excited about it. But I'm persuaded that if it's real, you're going to be excited about it. Amen. Amen. So next Sunday is neighbor day. You've got from now until then to let the lion roar in you. Are you ready? Let's give it a try. All right. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Let's try it together. Are you ready? On three. One, two, three. Roar! Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, let it roar! God bless you today. As you go out today, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to smile on you. Remember, you're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. And if God be for you, who, my friend, can be against you?
sound The heavens resounded in song The angels cried holy, holy, holy In harmony around the great white throne 